There we go. Sorry about that. I turned that off. User error. And so the, uh, well, thank you for, for joining us today. My name is uh, Phil Winslow. I'm a software analyst at, Cre at Credit Suisse. Very excited to have uh, what has been one of my favorite companies for a very long time, Microsoft, uh, joining us today. So, David, you know, thank you for, well, you were already down here in Arizona, but so I was going to say thank you for coming down, but thank you for coming over. Thanks yeah. for making the drive. Yeah, here I am. <laughs> so, exactly. So, the uh, it's like not a bad place to be. Not a bad place rel to be. Relative, relative to Seattle right now. Yes. The, the, um, I know the IR team's happy. <laughs> so, but, uh, and let's uh, focus in. I'm, I'm going to be going to be shocked where we're going to be again. Microsoft Cloud. <laughs> so uh, maybe just start at, at a high level for us. You know, kind of talk us through sort of the vision that the company has for you know Microsoft Cloud. Obviously, that's a very expansive vision. But uh, and the products that how do they really create value for customers in your mind? That's great. So uh, thanks, Phil. Thanks for having uh, us down here, and happy to be here and uh, tell a little bit of the story. I think it's a pretty well-told story at this point, yeah. but still, there's always something new going on. I remember back in the early days when we were talking about Microsoft Cloud and how big it could get, and each year we were wrong, and each year we were wrong because we guessed under, and uh, so we just kind of quit guessing at this point and just said, you know, uh, the cloud's ubiquitous. Satya has an interesting perspective which he says anything that shows up as OPEX is potential TAM, which I think is true sure. because if companies are spending money in any way on OPEX, that's something that can be, uh, can be brought to a computer and brought to the cloud. We started out, as everybody did, with you know, primarily starting out as infrastructure, and then data became uh, pretty quickly relevant. And then after that, it's SaaS, and now it's some of the ML and AI. And so I just think it keeps growing. And I think the power of it keeps getting exponentially better because when you start out with infrastructure, that's all well and good, but it's a pretty simple process. But when you're actually running a SaaS app and you can reason over the data and use ML to you know, uh, help run your business better, then I think it's all that much more powerful. And so that's sort of where we're at. And then let's focus on uh, share because actually this is, our, this is my 10th anniversary of being an Azure bull. <laughs> and so I wrote that in our 2011 Outlook report saying, hey, it begins now. And then 13, when Azure Infrastructure Services came out, we sort of doubled down on that. And obviously we've seen years and years and years of, of, of steady share gain. And if you think about the past five quarters, you know, if four of the past five, Azure's outgrown Google Cloud, five of the five has out, outgrown AWS. So how do you think, you know, what are you seeing from customers as leading to this incremental share gain by Microsoft? Well, I think they see the value prop. They certainly, uh, there's a few things we have going as a company, I think. One is that we're the most global cloud, and there's a lot of companies that want that assurance that if they're going to move into a new geo, that there's a cloud there to support them. So I think the global nature of it uh, helps us a ton and has helped us land some big deals, you know, even in uh, countries like China where it's hard to break in, but we have the cloud infrastructure there to support it. So, you know, that's, that's, uh, that's a big benefit for us. I think we also have some of the best security in the world in some, some of our security software, which has been you know, a big push for a lot of companies in the last uh, decade, but even more recently in the last five years, and I think we're pretty well positioned to go do that. Teams is super popular, you know, and, and uh, the pandemic, of course, helped drive adoption of that, but you know, we, we just happen to be in a good position at the right time. But even with Teams, that was years worth of investment to get where it got. And so you sort of have to start early on some of these things. You know, and then we, we recently announced some of our industry clouds. And uh, the industry clouds are, are generating lots of buzz, lots of interest. Uh, customers, of course, want something that's closer to what they do. And that's what it's intended to be. And so the industry clouds are getting a lot of traction. And so I think we just keep adding on to it. Again, I would just emphasize AI and ML, which, you know, once you have all that data and you have that functionality and you can reason over it and 
figure out a better way to run your business. That's what people are ultimately looking for. So we just keep moving closer and closer to what the specific customers need. Let's double click on industry clouds a little bit because I think that's been also, to your point, sort of one of the differentiators of, of Microsoft and Microsoft Cloud, the focus by, you know, by industry. But what do you to share just a little bit more about what the focus areas are within industry cloud and how is this oppor opening opportunities for growth? Sure. Uh, so the industry clouds that we uh, announced are healthcare, retail, manufacturing, nonprofit, uh, sustainability and financial services. And so those are, you know, the industries that everybody's after, but they all have very unique needs. And again, as you look at the migration up through infrastructure to data to SaaS to industry cloud, it's just natural that we'd get closer to what the customers are looking for. And just let me use sustainability as an example. We have lots of interest in our sustainability cloud, just to pick one out. Uh, at, when we announced it, when we announced it was going into preview, Judson and I did calls with customers in Europe, and then we did another call with customers in North America. And I, one, I was surprised by the attendance. Lots, you know, lots of people called into it. And two is they had very specific questions. This isn't some sort of ethereal idea. This is like, hey, we need to make this real. How are you going to make it real? How does your industry cloud help us make it real? And so there's a ton of interest in those industry clouds. I also think... You know, it's just the beginning. When we launch those industry clouds, it's not like we check the box and call it done. We're going to continue to build those out, and we're going to continue to make them more specific to customers. And the more specific they get, the more value add they have. And just from a financial perspective, you know, uh, there's a, there's obviously very well-known competitors in the infrastructure business, and a lot of times, you know, the margins on that might get driven down just by competition. But when you can differentiate with the industry clouds, I think it just it puts us in a better position as a company and a better position to help customers. But the sustainability cloud, I was shocked at how much interest there is in that. I mean, we knew there would be some interest, but there is more than we expected. Interesting. Interesting. Now, commercial bookings continue to grow you know, double digits this last quarter, and uh, Amy noted that it was really driven by consistent execution across add-on, new, and renewal sales motion. So you know, when it comes to new deals, what, what is the tipping point in your mind of like, sort of why Microsoft wins? Well, I think one is uh, the hybrid story, and we started early with the hybrid story because people because companies had invested a lot in what Microsoft had to offer, and they had a lot of on-prem investments, and they just said, "Hey, we don't want to throw all that out. We paid for it. It's working. It's you know functional. What are we going to do about this?" And so we came up with our hybrid strategy of, "Hey, if you're an Azure customer, we'll give you some licensing uh, benefit to also for on for being an on-prem customer." And then you can move when it's good for you to move. So, you know, there, the initial pitch for the cloud, as everybody remembers, is, hey, lift and shift, throw all that stuff out, move to the cloud. And we just said, look, we can do it in a more moderated way, in a more thoughtful way. And that's, that started to really take off. Two is I do think we're seen as a trusted partner and a trusted provider. And I mentioned security software. I think we're, we continue to build out security software. We have you know, insights into the global uh, internet that a lot of companies don't just because of our reach and our breadth. And I think that allows us to provide some, you know, some uh, good, secure software. And then we, as I mentioned, we continue to come out with, you know, ubiquitously beneficial products like Teams that all companies can benefit from. And then we, once we do that, we can add value to that, you know, with uh, Teams phone and and other functionality that we can add to, you know, to really drive the adoption of the cloud. And so I think all of that puts us in a good position. And when we talk to customers, they just want to know they're going to be safe, secure, that it's reliable, that it's global, and that it has the functionality that they need. And I think that's where we're at. Got it. 
And then, uh, once again, another kind of high-level high uh, question here. But uh, when you think about existing customers, or where is the gro growth coming, uh, you know, coming from? Is this new products, increasing consumption, you know, new seats, moving to premium SKUs, to your point? Or just, or just, I call it new products, new services. Little of all of the above. So we're, you know, constantly adding new services to Azure, and so as people consume those new services, you know, they that drives consumption. Yeah. Uh, the nice thing about the consumption model, uh, which again everybody realizes now, I don't know if we were as smart as we thought we were at the time, but the nice thing about consumption is it's not capped. I mean, if yeah. you're out selling a licensed product, it's, there's a certain fixed amount of market share, but with consumption, you know, I really think it's what Satya said, which is. Literally, if, if you're spending OPEX, that's an opportunity for us, and that's potential TAM. And so I think that's driving a lot of the consumption, just the new services that we add. Certainly, uh, you know, from a, uh, even from a uh, modern work perspective, if you look at the new stuff that we're adding there, you know, we have our E5 SKU, which when we started out, that was really about, you know, a certain set of services, and now those are getting more adoption. And so if you look at Microsoft all up, I think the important part to us is, the Microsoft Cloud. It's not about the Azure Cloud. It's not about Modern Work Cloud. It's about the Microsoft Cloud, including Dynamics, including many other things. Uh, and so we're. I think that's where the expansion is coming from with the existing customers and with new customers. They see the benefit of you know having one one company that's running all of that for them. Yeah. So I, I call it sort of the Azure to Office to Power to Power to Office to Azure pipeline yep. back and forth. And, yep. and that's why I'm sort of sticking with Microsoft Cloud in the, in the questions first because it is the three working together. Yes. Um, now let's let's drill down a little bit more into Azure. I want to hit on consumption base because I think that that is, that is a, a key point, you know, which is obviously thri thriving as you, as you mentioned. How do you structure these, these agreements and the go-to-market strategy to help facilitate more consumption growth? Sure. I think, you know, and it's always, uh, everything's an evolution. This has been an evolution as well. I think that, you know, there's so much cost up front in terms of how people thought about building out data centers and infrastructure that we basically said, you know, we need good long-term contracts because we need to be able to build out a viable business and we're willing to commit to you. We need you to be willing to commit to us. And we still work with customers on long-term contracts, but we've also built in a lot more flexibility. If somebody if somebody says, I don't know how much I'm going to consume, then we can go do a pay-go deal with them, and they can consume what they consume. And and we have you know even things like meters in there to make sure they don't go over a certain amount, and, but we give them maximum flexibility in terms of how they pay for it. And then we work with them on making sure that, you know, uh, again, even with modern work as another example, like, are, do you have the right number of users? Do you have too many users? Do you have too few users? How should we think about that? And so we just build maximum flexibility in the contract so that customers can pay for what they use. Awesome. And obviously, as you mentioned, sort of the breadth and the depth of the, the Azure just portfolio continue, continues to expand. And how do you think about uh, sort of the rate and pace of innovation here within side, side of Azure? But also, how does this affect uh, the gross margins of Azure, particularly to your point as you move sort of up the stack from infrastructure? Yeah, it's, it's always interesting when you report out financial results because it's sort of very numeric as, as if there is a grand plan. And there is sort of a grand plan, but I think it's a lot of things coming together. One is you just have to keep driving revenue growth. And fortunately, that hasn't been an issue for anybody in the cloud business. There's lots of revenue growth opportunity. Secondly, we just always have a sort of uh, uh, very focused approach to how we're going to drive down costs and how we're going to make this more efficient. And then we pass that through to customers, and it's part of being price competitive. But it's also part of just uh, making the cloud more efficient. And, and then when we think about all that, there's timing that comes into it. When do things get built out? How do they get built out? Where do they get built out? You know, folks have asked, how do we feel about, as an example, how do we feel about our data center expansion? 
we're covering 90% of the globe and like 95% of the GDP. And so we feel good about where we're at, but we still need to add capacity in those geos. But I do think that we've seen a more moderated CapEx spend, you know, maybe on a relative basis than we historically did. And so when you have good revenue growth and driving down costs and you have moderating CapEx spend, you tend to have margin expansion. That's kind of where we're at. But it's all of those things have to come together. It's not any one thing or it's not sort of like you just plan it out and it happens. You just have to be, you know, sort of maniacally focused on each of those things and getting better at each of them. So, okay, expanding products that, you know, it's like increase the you know, consumption. Um, you know, frankly, just secular shift, uh, accelerated secular shift of the cloud. One of the questions I get is that, is, frankly, can Microsoft keep up the sales hiring <laughs> to essentially it's, uh, you know, uh, on the go-to-market side to, uh, to support all this innovation and these trends? Yeah, uh, I would say knock on wood, but there's no wood up here. I would say right That's now right. We're, we have uh, a good talent pool coming to us and saying, hey, we'd love to work for Microsoft. Yeah. So... I think culturally, we're perceived as a pretty good place to work. I think that from a positioning perspective, people feel like we're well-positioned. I think salespeople feel like they can come in and they have something they can go uh, sell to companies and that it's got value and value add, and we continue to add value. And so we, we uh, I mean, it's a super competitive market. Everybody's hiring from everybody else, and there's a lot of horse trading going on with employees. But I think, you know, overall, on a relative basis, we're in a pretty good position. And so far, we've been able to keep up you know, in the same way that we have, you know, that that's a question on sales. I think it's a question on engineering. I think it's a question on support. Hopefully it's a question on finance people, although we're usually just happy to have a job. So Sorry. we're, uh, but still, I think there's a, it's competition for high-tech uh, labor right now, and, and we think we're doing okay. Again, knock on wood. All right, we touched on Azure. Now let's go to Office, office Commercial, going up and down that pipeline. Uh, that I discussed. Obviously, Office 365 install base you know, keeps growing. You know, ARPU keeps in, increasing, even with some I call it dynamics and maybe in the install base of where the growth is coming from. So, uh, you know, help us walk through those. You know, I guess break them into you know, sort of growth in install base. Where are you seeing seeing the growth come from? And then ARPU. You know, how do you think about sort of ARPU growth from here? Yeah, I would say that uh, you know people there's sort of a, there might be a historical perception of Office just literally as Office. You know, Word, Excel, PowerPoint. Yeah. Uh, and we've expanded far beyond that, and I think as we continue to add value and we continue to add SKUs, that helps with ARPU growth. We, you know, it used to be that we had our E1 SKU yeah. and we talked about E3, and people were always asking, like, when are you going to be over 50% of your you know, penetration with E3? And now they ask that same question about E5. When we architected E5, we really said, hey, you know, let's go identify uh, places of value for customers uh, where they might be underserved or where we might be in a better position provided outside of classic office. And so we came out and said, we, you know, we really think it's about communications, we think it's about security, and we think it's about analytics. Yeah. And so that's what we did. That's how teams, you know, teams came to be because, you know, we started out with a, a product called Link, and then we bought Skype, and then out of that evolution came Teams. And so I think we're, you know, we're in a pretty good position for communications and some of the team's usage numbers we've published lately, again, you know, very pandemic-driven, but we just happen to be in a good position to take advantage of that. So the comm stuff is landing. Security is always a big issue. I think people are getting smarter about how they think about analytics. And so when we think about Office, you know, migrating folks from E1 to E3 to E5 is a natural progression, and I think a lot of them are benefiting from that and seeing that. And so we're getting better penetration with E5. I would also just say from a usage perspective, 
you know, we've come out with a lot of functionality that's uh, directly beneficial to small businesses and to frontline workers. Exactly. And so we're adding users there. So at the same time that you're migrating from E1 to E3 to E5 and driving ARPU up, we're adding users in the frontline worker, which is a lower price skew. Yep. And so again, it's like several moving things that end up, you know, resulting in the number. But the key for us is to make sure that we're continuing to add value at those higher end SKUs and provide value for the lower end SKUs. And in between there, you end up with good ARPU growth and good usage growth. Yeah, I think you're bringing up a great point because, like you said, finance, finance folks, we like to look at the numbers and be like, oh, here's the gap between you know, re your revenue growth and seat growth and this ARPU. But you know, with inside of that seat growth and inside of the ARPU, there are two of these very different dynamics. And so I, I, I describe it makes the ARPU increase even more impressive in the sense that, hey, a lot of the unit growth is coming from you know, the, you know, frontline, the workers, frontline workers. Yeah, so. yeah and it's just, and it's not, you know, you can't focus on one number. You have to yeah. focus all on all the individual drivers. And I think that's what we've gotten better at is focusing on individual drivers. Yeah. And then what comes out of that is the number. Yeah, and so you talked about uh, you know, E5. Uh, you know, Amy talked about in July, you know, eight percent penetration uh, in the O365 commercial install base. You know, how are you thinking about just E5 adoption? You know, you know from here, and then uh, within that, how are you thinking about the enterprise voice? You mentioned you know, Teams Phone, sort of in that strategy. Sure. So you know, we tried to make it so that it was easy as uh, possible for customers to make use of that. So we E5 is what I said, the uh, bundle of communication security and analytics, but then we also came out with mini SKUs yeah. uh, that allowed people to just say, look, I don't want the whole thing, I'll just take this piece. And then what we've seen over time is that customers go, okay, I'll start with one, start with security, hey, I'll add comms, hey, this analytics stuff is kind of you know not bad, and so maybe I'll go do that, and then they go, you know what, we'll just buy E5. And so we do think it's you know allowing people to consume what they really need at the time but over time in the spirit of the microsoft cloud i think they see the benefit of all that and at some point we just make it attractive for them to you know go the whole way on on that piece of it and so i think it's early days in the adoption of e5 obviously eight percent you know isn't where we're going to finish but we're not going to force people to go there and we're not going to you know have some big push to get there fast we're just going to let them migrate there as you know as it makes sense for them yeah, to your point, everybody's asking about when's penetration of E3, when there's E5. So next question, next time we're up here, I'm going to ask about E7. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, when's that coming? But, the, yeah. uh, but let's focus on teams because the other thing you announced in uh, July, the earnings hold was $250 million, you know, monthly active you know, Teams users, obviously, to your point. Huge hockey stick over the past uh, pa past two years here. Um, October call, you said usage has never been higher. So not just simply monthly active views, but actually usage of those monthly active views higher than ever. How do you think about the monetization strategy of Teams? This is a question I get a lot because obviously it's included in O365. Um, but what is sort of the strategy, sort of uh, monetization addressable market there? Well, one is, you know, I think people uh, expect us to continue to deliver new value uh, for modern work. And so some of this stuff just gets built in because it's the new value that people are looking for and they're already paying us. And so we include it. And that's what that was our thinking on Teams is we said, hey, we want people to use it. We want people to consume it. We want people to benefit from it. So let's not sort of constrain it uh, by charging more uh, because they're already paying us, you know, a decent amount of money anyhow. And but still, even with that, if you, you had referenced in your previous question, I just forgot to answer about the Teams phone stuff. Yeah. You know, we have 80 million Teams phone users, and I think mm -hmm. that's an example of where people, where we can monetize and people can get additional benefit. Because in some cases, you know, they can just go throughout their PVX, which is a pretty expensive system, yeah. and just switch to Teams. And, you know, there's huge value add for them. And so I think that there's, in addition to just the, 
the core Teams platform, there are ways that we can monetize beyond that. And even some of our industry clouds are tapping into Teams now, and, and you know, that's the way that uh, they're going to operate. And so it's not direct, it doesn't have to be directly monetizable by Teams itself. I think it can be monetizable through things that work with Teams. Yeah. And so I think the key for us is to continue to gain share, which we feel good about the share we're gaining. And then build around that and add value, and I think there's plenty of ways to monetize, yeah. even if it's not directly. Yeah, just the just sort of just the engagement of living in teams, so to speak. I mean, I just said Credit Suisse. One of the things that a path we're going down, you know, you sign these like ten-year contracts with these PBX guys, these telephony telephony folks, but it's like actually we want to terminate in teams. Uh, and so even though we're not using a posted PBX, you know, because we signed long-term contracts, but it's like, actually, no, we still want it to terminate in Teams. So that actually becomes the hub. Yeah. And, so and at some point, yeah. the option might yeah. be there for everybody to, to go do that. But I think, yeah. you know, that's a good example. I also think that not just us, but for ISVs that want to build on Teams exactly. as a platform, there's an opportunity for them to monetize as well. And so we're seeing lots of ISV interest. It's sort of, I mean, everybody knows how ISVs operate. Uh, which is, you know, they add value to specific pieces of software, but mostly they just look for, a, like, a big user base. Yeah. And so once you get over a certain number of users, they're like, hey, we want to build around yeah. that. And so we're seeing lots of ISVs uh, show interest yeah. in Teams. Te teams as a platform. Yeah. yeah. And so the... Uh, and I'm very much looking forward to my team's avatar. Pretty pumped about that <laughs> coming up. I'm going to trick that out. The, uh, it's, uh, it's there. Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a, we're, we're a little slow. We're a bank. We, to, to, roll, to roll out the new I was features. Say, we, have, we, have, yeah. we have a couple senior execs who show up every, every meeting in an avatar. Oh, yeah. It's like, get ready for a marketing call near you. So it's like, yeah, avatar yeah. Phil coming at you. The uh, uh, power platform. Uh, so that's been what I call it. It's almost like the... Uh, hidden successes, you know, sort mm. of secret successes inside of inside of Microsoft. Um, you've obviously seen grow, strong growth there, as I, as I mentioned, and recently you talked about 20 million monthly ac active users. You know, what is sort of the, what is the value? Of, oh, actually, maybe just step back for some people that don't know. It's like, what is the power platform? What is involved in it? What is, why are you seeing the strong growth? Well, I think we're seeing strong growth. A power platform allows people to basically, you know, write low code, no code, and, and essentially, you know, help more of the world become developers. And so if you look at Power Apps, Power Platform, the real value it adds is the ease of use, but also just the flexibility and the ability to you know, uh, create apps quickly. We've had customers that would come to us, again, if, as you think about the evolution of the cloud, it used to be lift and shift and then optimize, and, you know, and now we're getting to the point to where we've had customers that have 10,000, 12,000 apps, and they're trying to figure out, oh, geez, how can I cost-effectively migrate all these apps to the cloud? And then they look at them and they go, you know what, maybe we don't need all these apps, or maybe we should rewrite some of these apps. And so they might cut down on the number of apps, they might go and add new apps, but they do all that through Power Apps and Power Platform. And so it really allows a lot more people to become developers and a lot more people to build apps that fit their exact usage. And so all of that is done in the background by us, and so I think that's the, you know, that's the... Uh, a driver of the adoption. I get involved with, you know, lots of customer conversations and and deals and, you know, invariably we'll talk about the Microsoft Cloud and, you know, Dynamics and Azure and Modern Work and then at the end they circle around and go, hey, we really want Power Apps. Yeah. Like, we really want Power Apps for as many people as we can get. And so it's, it's interesting how that just almost becomes an anchor in some of these yeah. deals. Like, they see that as the hidden treasure. Interesting. Fascinating. The uh, what's next then you know, for the power platform because uh, it's amazing how much it has evolved you know, organically and organically. You know, what are the product innovations that you're most excited about? Well, I think the ease of use is going to be great, but I also think that you know the ultimate thing is to put the power in the hands of the user and put power in the hands of the customer and let them evolve it where it needs to go. Yep. And so we'll just continue to make the product better. 
more powerful and more easy to use. And I think users will uh, dictate where that goes. But I think, you know, again, I would just say, again, it's, you know, once you get the infrastructure, once you get the data, once you get the SaaS apps, you understand the usage patterns. And when you can reason over that with machine learning and AI, that's where the real power in, in that comes from. And I think once people start doing that and doing it with their own apps that are tailored to what they're trying to do, I think that unleashes a lot of power. And so we'll continue to see strong demand there. Got it. I'll, in the last five minutes here, I'll pause for a moment to see if there are any questions from uh, from the audience. Just raise your hand and I'll call on you. Otherwise, I'll just uh, keep going uh, going down my list. Okay, we're, we're killing it. We've uh, answered obviously, we're, 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 we're We've killing answered the Q&A. But I actually want to double click on AI ML because I think that's one of the, obviously, I'd, I'd say artificial intelligence could be the most in, impactful call it technology innovation before any others before it. Uh, the But we're... Uh, walk us through sort of the evolution of uh, AI ML with inside of Microsoft and inside of Azure, and then how, where do you think we are in the adoption cycle, actually productizing? Yeah, I think it's super early in terms of how we productize AI and ML, and, and uh, you know, at some in some level, uh, I remember having this conversation with the boss years ago. He's like, "How do we monetize this stuff?" And I said, "Hey, we'll figure it out as we go." But <laughs> we uh, part of it is just making it again available in the Microsoft Cloud, and making it ubiquitous. But AI has, you know, advanced so far. I mean, I remember when we first started out and said, hey, let's figure this out. One of the things that we, you know, we would look at is people to do a credit check on a customer. They had to call a treasury and say, can yep. you do a, a credit check? And so somebody wrote a simple bot. We use that bot. Now a salesperson goes in, enters a customer name, boom, it's all taken care of. No human interaction, all of that saves, you know, thousands of hours, which, you know, eventually that all adds up. Yep. Now I think we're getting much more sophisticated about it and connecting data sources and connecting the, you know, the reasoning. And then even with our own, some of our own internal stuff where you have the machine learning where every quarter it gets better and yeah. better and better. I think that's the ultimately where it's going to go. But I think it's super early days in terms of how we tap into that. Yep, exactly. Now the, uh, yeah, I mean, just I, I mean, probably eating your own dog food too with the forecasting. <laughs> so with the AI ML side, so, we do, we yeah. do, we do. We still, you know, there's still humans involved yep. because I think there's, you know, still judgments to be yep. made. But you know, once you get that pattern recognition and you can reason over it, I think that's that's I, ultimately where it's going to yeah, go. Yeah, I've, I've joked. I was like, I swear, it's the, the, the tightening of the ranges and the guidance. I was like, I, that's that's the machine. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, it's, like, it's partly and the people and the people, of course. No, yeah, no, well, and I, I would <laughs> I would say for the finance teams, you know, because I think it's natural for people to. Say, you know, some computer's going to knock me out of my job. And with our finance teams, we just said, hey, we're going to do that. You're still going to be involved, but we're also going to free up time for you to go work with customers and yeah. show them how it works. Yeah. And so we've, and which isn't most, you know, isn't really a natural thing for a finance person to get on the phone with a customer. Yeah. But we had uh, the pre-COVID, uh, everything is either pre or post, but pre-COVID, I think the year before, we had something like 1,500 finance folks work directly with customers on solutions. Yeah. And so when you can do that, when you can automate a lot of the stuff, you free up folks to go work on other meaningful and impactful things. And I think that's the ultimate benefit yeah. from it. Just don't put too much equity research capabilities into Power Automate. That's the one, <laughs> that's the one uh, caveat, I guess, I, I would we'll say. We'll save that yeah, for yeah, last, yeah, but pull, 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 back, pull back on any efforts there. The, uh, so la last question for me, unless there are any from, uh, from the audience. But uh, when you think about the, sort of the dues from a management team perspective over the next, you know, call it this fiscal year, what are, what are just top of mind for you? Well, I think we need to, uh, it's a super competitive environment, so we need to make sure that we're working directly with customers and getting direct feedback and, and adapting. We, we've learned to be nimble. I don't know that I would have described us as nimble five or ten years ago, but we've yeah. learned to be nimble. That's one. <clears throat> Two, as you mentioned, 
uh, recruitment, I mean, it's it's fast-growing business, and we're growing, you know, a huge business top yep. line by, you know, on the commercial side yep. by more than 20%. Yep. And you have to have folks who are going to help do that. And so I think recruitment and retention of employees and, you know, making sure that people want to get up and come to work every day yep. are big deals. And then we obviously have some big numbers out there, <laughs> but... Yeah, we'll continue to execute on that. Yeah, those big numbers keep getting bigger, so which, 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 which we like to like to see. So, <laughs> awesome. Well, it, uh, the thirty minutes went went super fast. Really pre appreciate your time. So, thank you for coming down. Yeah. Or, uh, coming over, like I said. Yeah, <laughs> yeah thanks. So, yeah, thanks uh, for having us. Okay. Cool. Thanks, Lex.